Deuteronomy 4, verse 7. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Well, there are a number of so's there, isn't it? Really emphatic, Moses is being about the blessing that Israel has in having God near them, so nigh unto them, and the blessing of having God's law with them, so righteous as all this law. It's uh, an emphatic. Well, we're continuing our studies, friends, in this uh, fifth book of Moses, uh, the last book of the Pentateuch, and in this part of the discourse, while Moses is moving away from the experiences of uh, the people of Israel in that wilderness journey, and is going to focus for a while upon the law of God. He's uh, picked up lessons from that journey, and now he's turning to the statutes and the judgments and the commandments of the Lord. In chapter 5, he's going to reiterate the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that were given, uh, the last recorded uh, delivery of these Ten Commandments was back there in Exodus 20, 40 years ago uh, for the children of Israel. That was given to the old generation, whether Moses reiterated them during that time, uh, between then and now, well, we don't know. But certainly here, uh, he gives it to them again. There, here they are on the verge of going, crossing over into that new land, the law of God must be central. The things of God must be central to them. They mustn't forget these things. They are God's people. They must remember the Lord. Remember how to worship Him. He's prescribed it. Remember how they are to obey Him. Remember how they are to uh, carry themselves even with one another and to live. And this is going to be such a testimony uh, to the surrounding nations. And they're going to come back and they're going to say, wow, if I may put it in that way, wow, is there, what a nation Israel is. How blessed Israel is to have such laws. How wise these laws are. But it wasn't, it wasn't them. It wasn't Moses who devised these laws and the elders who came up with these laws. God gave them the law. It came from above. This is how you are to conduct yourself. That's why it took everyone by surprise. We never heard of such things. We never imagined there were such things as these particular laws that we see being enacted uh, in uh, Israel. And uh, it caused a great stir. And it led even, as we'll see, to many people even adopting those laws because they felt it's, they're so good. They're so wise. They're so wonderful. They're, they're just apt for society, for an ordered society. And so... They took them on board. So this is, he's going to emphasize, and he's very emphatic again and again, make sure, make sure you keep them when you go into Canaan. Make sure you don't forget them. Make sure you do them. And he emphasizes that throughout uh, Deuteronomy. So friends, this is our subject. And today, this morning, I just really want to do a, a primer on the law of God and to speak about its use for us as believers and also as uh, unbelievers, and how it's of use uh, even in a society because it has such a, an effect wherever it is uh, uh, 
uh, adopted and obeyed. Now we think also, when we think of the law, sometimes some people differentiate, uh, put, put a, a, a gap between the law and the grace. They say you're either law or you're either grace. Either under law or you're under grace. Well, we need to clarify our terms, okay? Uh, but uh, law and grace really in the Bible runs parallel together. Right from the beginning to the very end, the law and grace are together. You could think of it like a dual carriageway, um, a motorway where there are two lanes. Both of them are running side by side along together. When you think about the law, well, don't think it's only law because there is a lot of grace there. We don't have time to go into all this today, but there is lots of grace in the law. The very fact that it leads you to Christ is a sign of grace. Uh, but uh, you, it cannot save you. But that's where grace comes in. So, but grace, don't think of it as only grace as some people do, and there's no rules and no law. Grace also has its laws, its rules, its regulations, uh, which, uh, which must be followed. So both the Old Testament and the New Testament have law and grace running alongside each other. And it's, war, be, war becomes us if we divorce the one from the other. Yet we have to say we must know how to use the law in the right way. It's possible that we may misuse it. It's possible we may take it and misapply it and not use it as God intended us to do it. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, the Apostle Paul said, we know that the law is good. Some people don't even say that today. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And that's what we want to try and do today, to make use of the law and use it lawfully. Now, the word law, as I'm sure you know, is used in many different ways. This week, we had a visit from the law. The, arm, the long arm of the law came to visit us this, during the week. Uh, policemen. And uh, that's one way you could use the law. Then you have the laws of nature. You have the first law, the second law, the third law of uh, thermodynamics, uh, the laws of science, and uh, that's, that's common knowledge. The businessman talks about the law of supply and demand, and then other laws which baffle us all, which, which we cannot understand, but he, he knows them. Uh, so in the Bible, uh, the word law is uh, also used in a not always in, in exactly the same way. Sometimes the law, the word law refers to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you, the law and gospel is a phrase that you will come across, sorry, the law and the prophets is a phrase that you will come across uh, sometimes. At other times, the law refers to the whole of Scripture, to the whole Bible. And in other instances, well, it refers specifically to the Ten Commandments. And this is what we'll be thinking about in this kind of way, that uh, the law as the Ten Commandments. So, but when, when you read here in chapter 4, verse 1, it's used in a slightly different way. Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and the judgments which I teach you for to do them. When Moses is referring there to the law of God, he's thinking about not only the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God, but he's also thinking about the ceremonial commands, the offerings and the sacrifices which uh, Israel alone had. And then he's thinking also about the judicial laws which were in place to make sure everything was done in an orderly, just and fair way. 
And so he's got that, those three laws in mind, and he's, he's saying these are the things you must keep in mind when you go into Canaan. Remember, friends, they've just come out of Egypt. They've been slaves in Egypt for years. They were, they were very weak people. They were people uh, who just uh, escaped slaves, we could say, and weakened in so many ways because of their slavery. And as somebody has said, they had no literature, no scripture, and no code of their own when they came out. And yet, a few months later, they possessed the most perfect code of law ever known to man. That was God's doing. And that's what they needed, uh, this law to keep them. Imagine if they'd gone in without the law. And then what, a, what a chaos there would have been in the land of Canaan if they didn't have any rules and regulations given to them. Well, friends, I want to just do this in two parts. And I'm just going to briefly look at the first eight verses uh, of this chapter and then come to some uses for us uh, for today. So in verse 1, the, Moses says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you for to do them that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. This is his launching pad uh, from here. He, he begins with, Now therefore hearken. When you read that word, therefore, you have to look back and say, what's the therefore, therefore? What's, what's, what's come before it? What's happened before this therefore? And when you look, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks, you see what happened before. We see how God was, uh, Moses was showing the people how God had been so very kind uh, to Israel and had been their helper and had been their deliverer in so many ways, and the one who had provide, provided miraculously for them in the wilderness, the manna that came down, the, 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 the water that came gushing out of the rock, all these things he had uh, done for them. He had protected them uh, from their, their enemies. And he says, in the light of all that God has done for you, in the light of his kindness to you and his kind dealings with you. Therefore, you have an obligation to hearken to him and to obey him and to do his will. Friends, this is what we call evangelical obedience. We don't just say to you, the gospel doesn't say to you, do this, do this, do this. The gospel says to you as a believer, do this because, live like this because Christ has died, because Christ has saved you, because Christ has forgiven you all your sins, because Christ has given you new life, therefore you have an obligation to live for Him, to love Him, to serve Him in this life. That's why, and it comes from your heart. God doesn't want just our service. We're just doing things because we have to do it. No, He wants something because we, we do it out of love for Him, and we feel grateful to Him for all that He's done for us. Hearken, now therefore hearken. That word hearken means lay it to heart. Lay it to heart. Take it uh, seriously. Hearken unto the statutes and judgments that ye may live. Now friends, don't get it wrong because he's not saying through keeping the commandments you're going to get life. He's not talking about spiritual life. Spiritual life cannot become through keeping the Ten Commandments or any other law. Spiritual life only comes from Christ. 
Do you have spiritual life? Oh, yeah, you devoid of spiritual life? Where can you get it? Well, you must go to Christ. He alone has it. He alone has the power to give it. No one else. Nothing else. No book. Even, not, even the Bible can give you a life. It's only Christ who can give you life. The Bible even directs us uh, to him to find it. So you need spiritual life. It's a gift from Christ. Go to him. Ask him humbly to give it to you. And uh, he will. And, but here when it says that ye may live when you go in and possess the land, the thought is that uh, you will uh, have a, as a company of people, as a society uh, in that new land, Canaan, well, you will enjoy a great measure of peace and order and harmony in your society if these laws are followed. And that's the idea of living here. And the laws of God are so designed for the good of mankind, for a harmonious society, and for promoting peace and respect for others and other people's property and the relationships as well, other people's marriages. These things are, 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 are if, we have, if nations have these in place, well, they can also in a measure enjoy uh, a great amount of uh, civil peace and, and help and blessing. But verse 2, he goes on to say, You shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Diminish. The root word of, that, of diminish is scrape off. To trim, to scrape off. Some, some of you maybe have a, not me, but some of you have a, a trim, and you cut off maybe a part of your hair, and it's, it's gone. You know, you put it to one side, you trim it. But here you can scrape off people. Uh, he said, don't make sure you don't diminish, you don't scrape off a part of God's law. Don't put it to one side. Don't make any part of God's law void. Don't neglect it, Moses is saying. Don't pick and choose which commandments you will obey. They're all given by God, and they're all for you to obey. Oh, friends, don't we see people scraping off today certain commands, especially the Lord's command to keep the Lord's day a holy to come together on the Lord's Day. People are scraping that fourth command. We don't like it. We'll erase it. We'll avoid it. We'll neglect it. We'll just focus on the other nine. It shouldn't happen, friends. Verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that follow Baal Peor. This is going to be a warning to them. The Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among them. What happened at Baal Peor? Well, you can read it in your own time in Numbers uh, 25. But there the people uh, committed whoredom. They intermarried with the Moabite women. And they intermarried uh, there with the Midianite women. And as a result of the, the union that, of that marriage, uh, they began also to sacrifice to idols. They became idolaters. They bowed down to the idols uh, of, of the heathen nations. And because of that, God sent judgment upon the people. 24,000 people died under a judgment. A plague was sent. And here the Lord is uh, reminding the people as well that, and warning them that a, a judgment also will fall upon them if they do not continue in God's ways. People cannot get a, away with it as so many think. But they were not everyone. Verse 4, Ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive every one of you this day. And in verse 5, we see Moses saying, I've been a pastor to you. I've 
been t I've taught you uh, God's word. They had no Bible to read. They didn't have the word like we can. We have in our hands to hear or to read. But uh, they, Moses, the word came from God to Moses, and he communicated it uh, to the people. Behold, I have, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me that uh, you should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. And verse 6, Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. They have such a body of laws that are so reasonable, these people, so just and so equitable that the people are going to uh, cotton on to this, people are going to buy into this because there's a fairness, there's a justice that is in these laws. And the, the heathen nations, in fact, they were not really for Israel. Yeah, they were actually against Israel and they often ridiculed Israel because they didn't like Israel's monotheism, that there's only one God and that, that put aside all their heathen gods. And also they didn't like them for their exclusivity that they kept to themselves so much. But uh, here they are, will be brought, Moses says, to admire the wisdom of their laws and uh, to approve of their government. Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. A deep impression will be made on the world by keeping God's law. Oh, isn't that a lesson for the church today? There's a lesson there, friends. Today, some churches are thinking, well, the way we want to impress the world, how shall we do it? How shall we bring the world, uh, uh, the people to the Lord? Well, let's change our ways. Let's make an impression upon them by changing the church and what we do in church to reflect like the world, to become like the world, so that when the, the worldly people come in and the unbeliever people people come in, well, then they will sit amongst them and they will feel, oh, this is just like home. There's no difference between us and the world and they'll feel comfortable and they'll be happy and there'll never be trouble because the preacher says, well, we'll not talk about sin and we'll not talk about hell and we'll not talk about the day of judgment and we'll not talk about all those things that oh, will make people feel uncomfortable and will, you know, maybe they'll never come back again. And so they, will, they think, well, if we do these things and just become very seeker-sensitive and very friendly to people and never uh, say anything like, uh, which is going to cause them uh, to be upset, then we will make a big impression on the world. Well, this, this, is, this verse is telling us differently, isn't it? This verse is telling us really by keeping God's law, by following God's way, by having it central in us as a church, in our practice, in our ways, the world is more likely to to, uh, believers are more likely uh, to, uh, to, sorry, unbeliever is more likely to come in and feel convicted and know this is different. Oh, he, he gets the same thing in the world. He wants something different. He doesn't want the same same that he's getting in the world. He's tired. He's fed up for what he's getting in the world. He wants to come to church and say, God is here. Something different is here. Here is something I cannot get in the world. It only is found in the church of God. That's what we must be. That distinctiveness must remain friends in the church. And we must be careful that we don't lose it. Verse 7, God is nigh unto them. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? 
where his tabernacle was there. They were privileged to have the tabernacle of God later on the temple, the most holy place, the Shekinah glory. God was indeed present with Israel. And they, they, he, he, he drew near to them to answer their, their queries, their, their difficulties, to give them advice and counsel, to hear their prayers, to meet their needs when they cried out unto him. He was indeed nigh unto them. And verse 8, And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Laws to keep them, to safeguard the people, to safeguard their property, to safeguard their relationships. Laws that would lead to a harmonious society. Laws that would be the envy of nations. Even the Greeks and the Romans borrowed from the Jews. And uh, they were very intelligent, wise people, but they felt there was something more in these laws. What a tremendous privilege, friends, and a tremendous blessing for Israel. Well, let's come uh, to the use of uh, the law for us, and we're thinking especially here about the Ten Commandments. And uh, I've mentioned already in passing in detail that the law of God, firstly, you could say, is good for society. And many nations and governments have recognized this and have adopted the Ten Commandments. And even today, they are still the basis of law and order in many countries. You see some totalitarian countries where it isn't the law, and you see what's happening there and the chaos which is happening there and the unfairness which is going on there. But uh, thankfully in our country, it's still the, the law of God is still the basis for our laws and for order here. Sadly, though, many of them are being jettisoned. Many of those laws are being thrown out of the window. But where it is in place, friend, it, it serves, it has such a wonderful effect to restrain evil. People uh, are kept from wrongdoing. People are, are kept from crime. People, it, it promotes uh, righteousness. It promotes respect bet between uh, our neighbors. It leads to that harmonious society where people may go out into the street and feel in a measure safe, in a measure uh, content. It provides justice for all. Where there is wrongdoing in, in a fallen world, there's bound to be wrongdoing. But where wrongdoing happens, there's, there's a court you can go to and uh, justice can be obtained on the whole. And it's, uh, it's something that's in place uh, to keep the wrongdoer uh, out of uh, out, out, off the streets and keep him in prison if that's, if that's what is necessary for the safety of the, of the society. So it's a, a great privilege and blessing to have our law based on God's law. But then secondly, uh, one way here really in which we must not use the law, and this is so vital for us, we mustn't take the Ten Commandments, friends, and take it and use it and, and say to ourselves, well, if I keep the Ten Commandments, then I will go to heaven. Then I will be saved. Then I will be accepted in, in God's sight. Now, many people use the Ten Commandments in this way. And it's wrong to do that. Because the Ten Commandments can never save you. And that's not the reason why God gave us the Ten Commandments. Yet it has an, an appeal in it to the human heart. The human heart sort of thinks, uh, oh, yes, it's... Uh, I can see how, how good these commandments are and I, I feel I can keep it and I can earn God's merit and I can earn salvation just by following these Ten Commandments one after the other each day. At least if I do my best. 
The human heart thinks like that. Multitudes that think like this. And the focus tends to be mainly on the six commandments, isn't it? Rather than all ten. Usually the first four are neglected. The ones that relate to God. The last six relate to man. And uh, people are more inclined to, to think about that and focus on that. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, Well, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord went through those six commandments, the, la the latter six. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth up, what lack I yet? And uh, he was one who was trying, obviously, uh, to keep by keeping the law to earn a salvation. But the law cannot save, cannot save a person. It tells you what God expects from you, but it has no power to save you. Remember that, friends, and remember the other part. Christ alone has the power to save you. You must go to him for salvation. Galatians 3, 21. If there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Well, if the law is not for salvation, if the Ten Commandments are not given for that purpose, then what is the purpose of the law? Why did God give it? Well, one reason, friends, is that the law is given to show man and to show woman sin. To show them that they are sinners in God's sight. To show them that God is holy. These are God's standards and we fail to meet God's standards. When the Israelites here, they heard the Ten Commandments reiterated to them and it was put before them, this is the standard of behavior God expects from you now individually. And when that Israelite compared himself to those Ten Commandments, well, he could only say, I, I, I don't meet it. I fall so far short from it. There is, it's not just these one individual things. That's just the head of the family. It's all the other uh, sins which are below it within each, each family, within each commandment. There are a number of things which I must pay attention to. And then there's the opposite side which speaks about the things I ought to be doing, not only what I ought not to be doing, but the positive side, what I ought to be doing. And I fail, and I fail miserably by it. And immediately he's aware of his own failure and of his need of God's mercy and of forgiveness from God. And so he brought his sin offering to the Lord, uh, asking for pardon. That's what the law is given for, to show us our sin. But man has a big problem here, because man doesn't usually see his sin. He, cannot, he, he has a blind spot here, and he cannot see his sin. He sees his goodness you don't have any problem to tell him about his goodness. He's happy to tell you about his goodness. He's happy to tell you he has a good heart. But he, very few people will, will tell you that they are sinners. Man cannot see his true uh, condition. And that's where the law comes in and the Ten Commandments come in. To open that person's eyes. To help him to see his true and real state before God. That's what we want, isn't it, friends? To see what we are really like. We don't want to be pretenders and actors and try and put on goodness when we know we are not really good. 
We want to see what we're really like. When you wake up in the, mirror, in the morning and you, you say to yourself, oh, you think to yourself, oh, I, I think I'm okay, I, don't, I, I, I think I look all right. You go into the mirror, you look in the mirror, you see your hair is all disheveled and you see your things which need to be done and uh, you, you know that, oh, that's a true reflection of myself. And the mirror doesn't lie. And the Word of God is a mirror. The law of God is a mirror to us to show to us God is holy. This is the standards. And look, this is what you're like. You don't meet those standards. You don't look like what God expects you to be. There is, uh, there is a contradiction between God's law and what you really are. You also need forgiveness. C.H. Spurgeon, uh, the famous preacher from the 19th century, he said these words, The heart is like a dark cellar full of lizards, cockroaches, beetles, and all kinds of reptiles and insects, which in the dark we see not. But the law takes down the shutters and lets in the light, and so we see the evil. And that's true. That's what the law does. It's like uh, the light it's like the sun, isn't it? The sun uh, shines, and in the rays of the sun, you suddenly, if you're at home, you can see all the, the dust particles uh, in, that, in, that, in that ray of light. And that's what the law of God does. It shows us clearly the dust, the sinful particles and, uh, that are in us. Again, the Apostle Paul, Romans 7, verse 7, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, that means he had not known lust in the to be a sin, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. It was when he read the Bible and he read those Ten Commandments and he was convicted. Uh, oh, my lust, my covetousness, it's wrong before God. It's in me, it's been in me all this time, it's been lying dormant, it's been, uh, or rather it's been active in me, but I didn't recognize it as sin. Now when the commandment comes, says, thou shalt not covet, oh, that's me. I'm guilty of this sin. I've broken it. And that's what he felt. And he was convicted and found out by it. Oh, friends, this is what happens. We had this week, isn't it? We had a, a, a convicted a criminal managed to escape from Wandsworth Prison. And uh, managed to, uh, was on the run for four days, undiscovered. How did they discover him in the end? Well, his mugshot was everywhere, isn't it? <laughs> You turn on the TV, you open the newspapers, you see the mugshot of this convicted person, and everyone was looking to, for him. And the police were only helped, really, in, and, and discovered him in Chiswick, I think it was, because some, some member from the public saw his mugshot. And that's what the Bible does. It, it shows us a mugshot, as it were, of ourselves, and it shows us a mugshot, of, of, rather, of sin, and says, this is what a sin is. And we say, that's me. That's me. You discover yourself. Well, friends, we say these things because it's so necessary to say them. Because unless we are convicted that we are sinners, we will never truly come to Christ. A person who really comes to Christ, always it's preceded by that conviction. I am a wretched sinner. I am a miserable sinner. I deserve to go to hell. I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. And the law is ideal uh, for this work. And the fourth purpose of the law is to bring man to Christ. Galatians 3, 24. 
Wherefore the Lord was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is like a strict policeman, Paul is saying. A policeman that is in charge of us in a, in a strict way and will not and monitors us and a very strict disciplinarian and will not let us go. And uh, we long, as it were, when we're under that policeman, we long to be free from it and out of its, its power. And the law is like that. But when Christ comes along, that, that policeman, as it were, turns us over to Jesus Christ, God's appointed Savior. And we come to Christ and are saved by him. Uh, we, the, uh, we, are, we are brought, delivered out of that country. We desire a Savior because the law, we found when we were under the law, it just told us what is right uh, to do and what is not right. It was, the law was very strict also with us. The law showed us no mercy. And we desired mercy. The law expected from us, you must be perfect, you must keep my commandments without fail. 24 by 7, you must keep these commandments. You cannot break it one jot or one tittle. It didn't let up, and we long to be free from those rigorous demands of it. And that's good for us when we realize that. Because then it leads us to the Savior. Then it brings us, then we are ready to receive the Savior. Fifthly, and finally, the law is useful to the believer as a rule of life. We don't, after we are saved, we don't trust in those Ten Commandments to save us. We don't trust in it to give us life and forgiveness. But after we have obtained forgiveness, after we have obtained new life, well, the Ten Commandments becomes our rule book for life, our guide in life. This is how I must be. This is what God requires from me as a Christian, now called after his name. This is how I should live. This is how I should speak. All these things are in, this, in, in the word of God for us. So we cannot say, as some people are saying today, antinomians are saying, well, we're under grace and we're not under the law. But when Paul used those words, we're under grace and not under the law, he was talking about salvation and how one becomes a Christian. He's not talking about the believer's walk. <laughs> you read what he says about the believer's walk. He gives you command after command after command. You only have to read the latter part of his letters to the epistles, to uh, uh, Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians, and you see uh, how he brings out the law of God in a very useful and practical way. So, friends, uh, the Ten Commandments is of great help to the believer, and also it helps us to realize more of our sinfulness after we come to the Lord. And we also need that. And we'll see how it helps us in sanctification when we deal in our next study uh, on those Ten Commandments. But just before I close, I just want to say one more thing in passing here, and that is the difference between law and grace. The difference between law and grace. They go alongside together. There is grace in the law. There is law in grace. They run alongside parallel to each other. But there is also differences which we, uh, might be helpful for us to keep in mind. Firstly, the law cuts us off from God. The law pushes me away from God. Grace takes me to God. Grace says, come uh, to, the, uh, to me. The law is hard to keep. 
It's impossible to keep it all. Grace is free, a free gift from God uh, to us. The law warns us of punishment for failure to obey. Grace removes the punishment through Christ's atoning work on Calvary. Grace, uh, sorry, the law says, this is what you should have done for God. This is what you should have, how you should have lived. Grace says, this is what God has done for you. This is what Christ has done for you. This is, the law says, you must be righteous like this. Grace says, Christ has obtained a perfect righteousness for you, which is a gift for you. The law says, uh, the law gives us rather a picture of God's character. Grace imparts God's character in us and with us, changes us to be like the Lord. The law is a diagnosis of our problem. Grace is the cure. And that's wonderful, isn't it? The one the, alongside parallel, both have their uses, friends. You don't want to disregard the law just because we, uh, it has all these somewhat negative things, but uh, it has a lot of use for us, as I've tried to show you briefly uh, this morning. Well, may the Lord help us uh, in these things. Let's close by singing our final hymn, number 119, uh, version 1. How blessed are they who keep God's word, 119, version 1.